This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most powerful women. I think I speak for everyone who participated in Unifier up to right now is how much we learn from working with our Ukrainian colleagues, because mm-hmm. although everyone woke up to the, the threat of Russia in 22, mm-hmm. they were dealing with that from 2014 onwards. And it was a yeah. constant reminder when we worked with them that we were training soldiers and they were going off and fighting at the front and then yeah. coming back. We feature thought leaders at all career levels, where we explore, among other things, the many contributions that women make to the fields of international business, national security, foreign policy, and international development. Does having women in positions of power influence the outcomes of decisions in these fields? Why or why not? Join me, Dr. Kathleen McInnes, director of the Smart Women Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies for these incredible conversations. Today, we come to you from the Halifax International Security Forum, where I'm joined by Colonel Sarah Heer, who is the special advisor to the commander of the Canadian Army and is also a Peace with Women fellow here at the forum. You've been traveling across North America over the past couple of weeks. You must be exhausted, but the grand finale is here in the forum. So congratulations. You made it and welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to speak with you this afternoon. So I would love to get your, your insights on why did you join the military? What, what called you to service in this way? Right. Well, I joined the Canadian Armed Forces in 1997, so right out of high school. And I enrolled through what we call our regular officer training plan, mm-hmm. uh, which means I went to the Royal Military College and then yep. followed through with my artillery training after that. The reasons why I joined was I was a competitive swimmer all through my childhood. So from the ages really? of six to probably 22, I swam competitively. Wow. Um, and coming out of high school, I... I kind of wanted to do something physically and also mentally challenging that I got from competitive sports. And I was fortunate that a, an alumni swimmer had come back to our club athletic banquet and she had been at the Royal Military College. And that was the first exposure I had to this option of going away, having free university mm-hmm. and having a challenging career. So she's the reason why I joined because I saw someone I knew and free education was mm-hmm. definitely a bonus. It allowed me to go to university outside of my hometown. Yeah. And it really gave me an incredibly rewarding, challenging career that's allowed me to travel the world and represent my country mm-hmm. and serve something bigger than myself. It's so, it's so funny how it's the, the, the personal like interconnections, right? It's it. I mean, for all of the recruitment posters and ads that we do, like you, it's often just that, that, that actual connection with another human in the services that, that seems right. to, to play Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. So the uh, topic that you brought today to discuss was your role in commanding Operation Unifier in September 2020? That's right. I commanded Rotation 10 of Operation Unifier, which is Canada's training mission in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was the task force commander from October 2020 to March 2021. Mm -hmm. So just to put this in a bit of context, Operation Unifier has been going on since 2015. Mm -hmm. It's a six-month rotational deployment where roughly 200 Canadian Armed Forces members would go to Ukraine, and it's a security forces capacity building mission. Yeah. Put in another way, it's a training mission. Sure. So we were involved in working with the Armed Forces of Ukraine and the National Guard Ukraine and training them in basic leadership training. Uh, we're also in their officers' academies, teaching them troop leading procedures, MDMP, your yep. version of operational planning in the U.S. We also did marksmanship training, artillery training, engineer training, and combat first aid. Mm-hmm. 
some additional context. When I came in there in 2020, the mission was about five years old. Yeah. It was just during the height of COVID. So we didn't yet have COVID vaccines. And the previous rotation wow. wasn't able to deploy their whole task force because of the threat of Ukraine and training had kind of been stalled. So I and our task force went over to sort of reestablish the training and keep the mission evolving forward. Well, now, where were you located? So our headquarters was based in Lviv, Lviv. on the western side of the country. Oh, it's but such a great city. It was awesome. Uh, the whole, uh, my whole experience, I feel very fortunate to have had the time there. Yeah. Obviously, the connections we made, and it's very difficult to, to watch what's occurring now and, and wanting to help and yeah. wanting to do more. And I think I speak for everyone who participated in Unifier up to right now is how much we learned from working with our Ukrainian colleagues, because Mm -hmm. although everyone woke up to the the threat of Russia in 22, Mm -hmm. they were dealing with that from 2014 onwards. And it was a constant reminder when we worked with them that we were training soldiers and they were going off and fighting at the front and then coming back. So we had so many lessons learned that we got from them as well. Wow. And so in that time frame. Were you beginning to detect that Russia was about to take another bite at the apple? It was starting to become apparent just at the end of my rotation. So my successor, yeah. her task force, that was very apparent. A really? lot of security briefings uh, in preparation and seeing the movement of Russia along the eastern front of Ukraine. And what were some of the, the lessons that you learned from mm-hmm. that experience I mean, training the Ukrainians? Well, I think definitely we saw the will of the Ukrainian soldiers. That was very apparent to us. They didn't always have the same level of training that we had or the same level of equipment, but their patriotism, their desire to fight for their survival and their country was apparent right off the bat. We also learned quite a bit from them about Russian tactics Mm -hmm. with explosive devices. They were able to teach us uh, quite a bit about Russian tactics at the lowest level because we were dealing more with like company level and below. Yeah. So very tactical sort of mindset pieces. That's fascinating. And so how how many Ukrainian soldiers did, would, would your rotation? So it's a, a bit difficult to put a number to it because yeah. uh, although our task force was only made up of roughly 200 Canadian Air Forces members, mm-hmm. we sort of divided ourselves into 12 different outstations. So task force was spread all the way across the country in small teams where we'd have either captains or sergeants sort of leading some of the different training that was going on across the country. Mm-hmm. I think the total number of Ukrainian soldiers that the Canadian Air Forces has trained is, is over 35,000, mm-hmm. but that's all the rotations put yeah. together. And I, and I should say that the Op Unifier has recommenced. It's just taking place in a, a third country mm-hmm. now, in Poland and in uh, the UK. But our aim okay. is to eventually, hopefully, evolve the mission back to being able to establish that training. So, that, so Ukrainian forces are taken out of Ukraine, given That's some right. time, which actually, frankly, probably not a bad like reset, given the the brutality of the war on the. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not that involved in the mission yeah. now because we're sure. part of the you first got, generation. You, but you got some it, other things to do. It's a, yeah, <laughs> but uh, it is yeah. great to see it reestablished, and I am sure the lessons that our Canadian Armed Forces soldiers are learning from training the Ukrainians are even more now than they were yeah. uh, in the early days. Yeah. Any insights or any lessons learned for how we as NATO allies mm-hmm. do these training missions? I mean, this is such a mm-hmm a core component of how we do business now. Well, I definitely don't think I'm an expert in that area, but I can speak from my experience in Ukraine. There was uh, Americans doing a training assistance mission there as well as UK and Lithuania. Mm -hmm. And although we didn't have a formal 
umbrella, like we weren't all operating under a formal multilateral or multinational relationship, we informally formed it okay. uh, because we needed to find synergies in training. We didn't want to be offering redundant training. And more specifically, we all wanted to help Ukraine. Right. So we all want, we, we wanted to be able to sit down with them and not cause the, the senior leaders of Ukraine military to have the same meetings with five different countries. Right. So we informally put together a multinational coordination center where we all sort of contributed and mm-hmm. worked together to make sure. So I think that is a key component of any training mission is knowing who's in your environment, knowing what capabilities and effects that they can bring to a battle space. And more specifically, regardless of what you think another country needs, you really need to listen to the the country that you're assisting, ensure that you're offering them Ukrainian solutions, like in our case, Ukrainian solutions to Ukrainian problems. The Canadian, the American, the UK, we can adapt what we do. So whether it's our operational planning process, whether it's our troop leading procedures, whether it's our basic leadership course, we need to understand their perspective mm-hmm. of that. A good example is leadership. Yeah. The term leadership didn't mean the same thing in Ukraine that it meant in, a, in our Western society. How so? So for them, leadership is very much driven or connected to authority. If you think okay. about you know, the systems that they've evolved from, it's right. very decision-making is held very centrally, and it's held with the officer. So we did a lot of work as a command team, myself and the command sergeant major and our command teams at other levels sort of describing indirect leadership and Mm -hmm. how our non-commissioned officers are significant leaders and the backbones of our military because we empower them to make those decisions at the lowest level. I mean, we call it mission command, decentralized decision-making. And I think you see that application being applied in the conflict in Ukraine Mm -hmm. since 2022 onwards and because their ability to make rapid decision-making would indicate that uh, decisions are not being made at a very central high level. Well, in, in contrast to how Russians are committing and tr- controlling their forces. That's it. And yeah. the the level of innovation that we're seeing and on the ground sort of solutions, whether it's like cardboard drones and what mm-hmm. they're able to do, I think that also speaks to how they're empowering um, the, um, the less senior uh, mm-hmm. generation and, and non-commissioned members to make significant tactical and strategic impact on the battlefield. I was wondering... If you could comment, is it the, the role of Ukrainian women in, mm-hmm. in the conflict overall, but also mm-hmm. within the military of Ukraine and on the battlefield. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to your perceptions of, you know, are they really fully integrated? Are they really fully mm-hmm. there? Does that, yeah, does, that make, does that make sense? It's uh, difficult for me to comment right now because mm-hmm. I can only sure. speak to my experience in 2020. But um, from my experience, women are integrated in their military. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Their whole society is integrated now, so I yeah. think it would it's a fair assumption to see that they're fully integrated as well. My concern is more where they're integrated, making sure that female Ukrainian soldiers are getting access to the international training that's taking place, mm-hmm. making sure, because if they're access to that international training, they're then able to join the more formalized regular force units. Yeah. Uh, they may then have more access to protective equipment mm-hmm. as well. I think a uh, key will be sort of to watch the space following once Ukraine wins the war, to watch how women veterans uh, benefits, medical benefits, recognition for their service, just to yeah. ensure that's all the same. But I have been fortunate to have met some incredibly courageous women and men, Ukrainian uh, soldiers, and we try to stay in contact with them and do whatever we can to assist them with their fight. So to wrap up our conversation, mm-hmm. do you feel your gender 
as, as a woman has had an impact on your your leadership and your decision making? And if so, yes. If not, why not? And truly, mm-hmm. wherever you, like the answers yeah. answers always vary. Well, I think if I'm if I'm looking at it from my role as the task force commander in Ukraine, mm-hmm. it's a tricky question to answer because sure. I was the first woman to command Op Unifier, mm-hmm. and it therefore. I garnered a bit more attention because I was the first woman to command it. And I was very uncomfortable with that attention at the beginning of the mission. Sure. Because I wanted the focus to be on the work we were going to do. And I wanted to be able to reestablish that working relationship with the Ukrainian armed forces that had sort of been a bit stalled because of COVID and the tactical pause it had taken. And I had a really amazing, I had an amazing team, but I had an amazing deputy commanding officer or commander. And he said to me, ma'am, like, you need to use this because this will, this means... Our partners, as well as Ukrainian and other Canadian, the country is going to be curious. Yeah. So use that curiosity to sell what we're doing on Op Unifier wow. and what we can offer yeah. our Ukrainians. Uh, and that was such great advice. And uh, I really appreciated that perspective tip from him because it allowed me to see this as an opportunity that then I could then use my platform to highlight the work that we wanted to do and wanted to share with our Ukrainian partners, but also to highlight the incredible things our Ukrainian Armed Forces members were doing. So mm-hmm. I think in a way it was an aspect yeah. of my makeup that yeah. I used and made an opportunity out of it. However, yeah. if you're asking me about my leadership and I think my leadership is sure. specific to my gender, I'm not sure. You know, I'm really proud of that task force and everything that we accomplished. But I think it was more, the makeup of the task force is very unique. So we had yeah. 200 Canadian Armed Forces members that was a makeup of about oh, over 10 different units, uh, mm-hmm. 40 different trades, all rank levels, reserve mm-hmm. and regular force. So active and National Guard mm-hmm. would be the okay. American equivalent. It was mostly Army, but Army. we did have a few from different. So yeah, there's a bit of a joint aspect as well. And we hadn't really worked together before. So yeah. to have such a unique group come together, you know, my real aim was to foster a co- cohesive team. Yeah. And the way to do that was I had to build the trust. And to build the trust, I needed to work collaboratively. I needed yeah. to be able to, you know, express my intent clearly, articulately, give mm-hmm. a plan, but then trust them to execute. So it was really an opportunity to exercise a mission command fully because I had teams spread out across the whole country. So I couldn't have daily touch points with seeing them face to face. So I think this task force success was more a... Um, a result of how we formed a cohesive team mm-hmm. than it was specifically in terms of my leadership techniques because yeah. I was a woman. I think it was mm-hmm. more of the collaboration, yeah. the fostering trust and empowering the technical experts to do what they do best, which is lead and, and make a difference. So, well, Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Smart Women Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Smart Women, or you can follow me on Twitter at KJ McInnes1. Thanks for listening and join us next time.